Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, the series that highlights the people, the companies, and the technologies that are shaping the future of retail. I am your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazinga. And today we are bringing back one of our absolutely favorite guests, someone we had on the show earlier this year, and she is now back by popular demand. And I am talking about none other than the Market Development Director at Dematic, Kim Beaudry. Kim is here once again to discuss all the trends impacting retailers as they try to get closer to their end consumers. Kim, welcome back to OmniTalk. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Anne. It's great to be back with my two favorite podcasters. Oh, <laughs> wow. I wasn't expecting yeah. that. Ooh, oh, cool. my gosh. What an honor. Everywhere, Kim. Yes. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, especially because of the last time you were on, Kim, I don't know how many times Chris especially has referenced that conversation and that we've talked about it with just people messaging us on LinkedIn. Like it was so fantastic. So we're so thrilled to have you back today. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, before we get started, Kim, why don't you get, let's go back a little bit. For those individuals who are listening today who did not catch the first interview with you, tell us a little bit about Dematic again. Um, just give us a quick background, if you don't mind. Sure. So um, thank you for asking. First of all, Dematic is um, one of the world's largest material handling uh, providers, as well as software providers in the material handling world. Um, my role specifically at Dematic is uh, what is called a market development director. I've actually been in the industry for this is scary to say, over, <laughs> like, I, like I actually did the math the other day, over 25 years. Oh, ah. wow. But yeah, Excellent. so, um, but um, in, in our organization, our group actually has kind of a, a cool role. We do two main things. We research, but I say research to serve. So to serve our external customers and our internal customers uh, to develop strategies um, to help improve what we're doing for our customers at the end, at the end consumer level. And then we take that research and we use it to support our research and product development, our software organization and our sales organizations, as well as other groups within Dematic. So Kim, you know, it's funny you said that point about 25 years. I had that same epiphany recently where I was, I used to be like, yeah, I've been in retail 20 years. And then I was like, oh, now it's 25. And ooh, that feels different, doesn't it? Like psychologically, that feels yeah. a lot different. It's hard to say. But, uh, but when we first had you on earlier this year, and by the way, kudos to you. I, I want to let you know this too, especially since you gave us that nice little, uh, you told us those nice little salutations in the beginning. Uh, your podcast is the third most listened to podcast that we have produced all year in the first, wow. what is this, eight or nine months of this year. So congrats to you for that one. It shows you that this uh, content resonates well with our listeners. Um, but anyway, when we had you on, you discussed mm -hmm. all the ways retailers are trying to get closer to the consumers, I said at the outset. So my question for you to start us off today is, What's changed, if anything, in the last six months since we last talked to you? I don't have all the answers yet. That's the news for today. Um, <laughs> but but um, some things, some things yeah, you'll, you'll I, add on today. Yeah, I hope to. Always honest, so, Kim. That's what I love about Kim. She's frank and to the point. <laughs> so actually, uh, because of these conversations and because of the things that we continue to hear in the market, Dematic has funded a study to look okay. more into the trend of closer to consumer. And so hopefully I'll have more um, of our data and re what we found in that study to share later. But we do have some initial kind of findings um, that, that we've come away with. One is that um, there's definitely a movement towards within the three major industries, um, grocery, apparel, and general merchandise. 
of companies trying to figure out how do I get my customer or product inventory services closer to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And while they're doing that, um, they're looking at really a couple of things. One is what is my service level promise to my customer? Mm-hmm. So for instance, if I'm a grocery consumer and think about this, if you're putting an order in and you're ordering from your local or regional grocer, you kind of expect you're going to be able to either pick up or have your groceries delivered that day if you'd like, right? Or even right. maybe within a couple hours. Mm-hmm. However, if I'm when I, I order online for apparel, I don't have the same expectation. I'm I'm okay getting my clothes in a couple of days. Usually, I don't expect that I'm going to have my clothes dropped at my door in a couple hours, right? So, mm-hmm. the industry kind of drives a, a little bit about what the customer's expecting, which then tells our retailers the distance in which they need to have fulfillment nodes from the end consumer, right? So Mm -hmm. if I'm going to try to fill something in under a day, I pretty much have to have a fulfillment node within X number of miles of my consumer. If my promise is two days, I could probably do it further away from a regional distribution center or something. So it's really starting to expose the study and the information that we're coming across is, you know, it's based on distance, where do I place, what do I do with my network? Where do I place my uh, my different fulfillment centers? And then based on that and the type of fulfillment center you have, it kind of it kind of directs you on the size and the level of automation that you might have. So those are a couple of things that we've definitely been learning from this. We're also seeing um, larger retailers um, taking greater control over their last mile delivery. So a lot of them are standing up these regional or even local sortation hubs mm-hmm. and kind of taking a, the expense off their, you know, of, of using um, parcel delivery companies to do that last mile delivery and more control over how quickly they can get things delivered. So those are kind of some of the major things that we've learned. And then in the grocery space, everybody during pandemic and shortly after jumped on the bandwagon of putting in fully automated micro fulfillment centers, sometimes right at the end of a store, Mm-hmm. you know, within a store mm-hmm. or, you know, just handling a couple stores. Right. And, um, what we found is that, and I think all of us in the industry have found is that there are a couple of things that are preventing that from growing right now um, more. One is uh, that you need a certain level of, of order volume level <clears throat> to achieve a return on investment and make a, an automated micro fulfillment center work. Right. So you're starting to see some of the grocers move from doing individual micro fulfillment centers to kind of a local micro fulfillment centers that can fulfill orders for more stores. Right. Right. So if they're going to use automation, they need to get to a point where that volume makes sense. And then secondly, there's a level of risk going into this that I don't think people really fully grasped. And even us as providers Hmm. might not have been, fully aware of the things that, you know, our customers might struggle with, which would be operational risk. So I have a totally different team from my store ops that need, or, or you need to train store ops to do something completely different than they've ever done. It's a great point. Yeah. Your store ops team is now a warehouse management team, basically, which they have no, no skill set, prior skill set for knowing how to do. I mean, there's probably some people in the organization, but yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So that is a big, a big hurdle. And then, you know, f- the financial risk. So really like, I, again, I, 
a lot of people jumped in at the CapEx level and said, let me make this investment. But now they're learning, well, mm, I don't know if I'm going to get my payback. And so I'm going to rethink, maybe start slower, you know, maybe retrench a little and not go full on automation. So those are the things I think that we're starting to see coming out of our study and our research um, around this. Topic. Those are some, those are some really big changes. So let me, and you said a lot there. So let me just recap it for the audience. I mean, basically you said like, you know, there's still the, the general overarching goal is for the retailers to get closer to the end consumer. They're looking at it very deliberately by vertical category of retailer, whether grocery, grocery is very different than apparel. And you're saying the big shifts you're seeing are seeing a lot more people move to sortation centers. So my, my question for you is why, what is the value of a sortation center inherently? Because it's, it's a little counterintuitive to understand. So I'd love for you to talk about that with the audience. And then the other part too, is what is making the investment in MFCs difficult for the retailers, particularly on the volume side of not meeting the threshold? What's preventing them from meeting those volume thresholds? Is it just the decline in e-commerce grocery coming out of the pandemic? It was high, it's getting less. Like if you could answer those two questions for me, that, that I think that would be interesting for our audience. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best in the sortation center question because mm-hmm. we're still yeah. really, it's at, at the beginning level of our, our study. We see a couple, and again, I, I'm going to say that they're large retailers, um, right. national retailers that are doing this. Uh, it's honestly very similar to what Amazon does. Yeah, right? Amazon's the one that started this, right? It's yeah. their, it's their yeah. idea, right? Yeah. There's kind of a page out of their playbook. Um, and so they're using the stores as a fulfillment node and then taking actually orders that have been filled in a store and sending them to these, these sortation centers so that they can get them into, they're actually saving money on that last mile delivery and they have better control over um, again, the timing and all that. So I think, I don't think that, I don't, I don't think all retailers are going to get on that be doing that, right? But what I do think that we can learn from that, and and again, we're seeing this with closer to consumer, I think we're going to start seeing, rather than maybe one big national DC or two coastal DCs, mm-hmm. we're going to see a national DC and many regional distribution centers, and then even maybe some local distribution centers. So when you go from a, and this goes for the micro fulfillment question, kind of, is at yeah, the national yeah. level, you have order volume and people and all of that, right? That when you automate and you handle more volume and you don't need as many people, um, you can justify higher levels of automation. But as you shrink that and your order volume goes down, your space might be going down, it usually is, then you start looking at different ways of automation, different types of automation, right? It might, it might be more automated mobile robots. It might be, you know, something like that. Um, and especially at the local level where things might be just done manually with software support. So as you think about it, it's going to be, I think we're going to see a trend of more distribution or fulfillment nodes, but smaller uh, and potentially using different types of automation. You made that you made the claim that you're seeing less interest in MFCs. And partly the reason for that is the grocers not being able to meet the demand thresholds. Why is that inherently? Why why are they having trouble meeting the demand thresholds? Basically, we can get back in the store again. So, okay. you know, so there's a combination that I have, you know, uh, I think I've shared this in the, the last podcast, millennial and Gen Z age people and that I are a parent of, they can't stand going in the store. 
to shop for groceries, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, I'd rather do anything than walk in that store to shop for groceries. So they will pay for their, you know, Instacart or shipped or whatever to deliver stuff to their house, or they will do click and collect mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. I go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I can run in and grab those things. It's easy. Um, and then sometimes I'm busy at work and I don't want to, I don't have time and I need these things. Right. So I think it's, it's really, it's that, and that's what I think the risk aversion is too. They don't, it, there's fluctuation in demand yeah, that right. they, that their grocer can't predict. And so it's, it's kind of like, wait a minute, do I go all in and invest in all this equipment, not knowing how my consumer is going to respond? So yeah. That's what I think it is. Yeah, and that's it. That goes back to your point about you got to have consistent demand to be able to put in the automation. Mm-hmm. It's going to give you the savings that you're, you know, trying to get from employing these types of strategies. But even so, that's the case. Even when I look at it more at a like not a regional level, that's too broad, but at a local level, like across, like say ten stores, like say if I'm a grocer across ten stores, even then they're still having that same difficulty. No, that's a better case actually. It's a better a case. Special, okay, yeah, so you're it's seeing definitely some, a better case. And, some nuance and, there. Absolutely. And by the way, I do want to share that this is that comment about the threshold, the volume threshold um, is for the Americas. When we did the study, we're seeing a different Mm. thing in Europe, right? Because they're more densely populated, Mm. right? So um, you see that the micro fulfillment centers are still very much of interest in portions of Europe, the UK, uh, France, for example. So Again, it has to do with, I think, density of population and things like that as well. So, yeah. Okay. okay. Well, because Kim, of that. Kim, what does that look like then from an automation perspective? Like it, maybe mm-hmm. if you can outline that a little bit for the listeners and for Chris mm-hmm. and myself, like explain you know, what those options are in the phase one, two, and three approach then to exactly what you're talking right. about with those small distribution right. centers. Yes. It's kind of like step stepping into automation. We used to call it. Um, right. We used to have a tagline at Tomatic when I first joined the company. You know, we crawl, walk, run with you. Yeah. So, right. Um, right. So it's the same. It's kind of the same um, uh, situation where in a smaller DC, um, justifying and even fitting in, you know, big mm-hmm. shuttle systems or conveyor systems. There's just not space. And okay volume of orders that you're handling cannot justify that level of automation. So in a very small distribution center, you, you might look for a software centric, you know, like we have a WMS that will tell somebody, pick these, this is your orders you're going to go pick. And it can even direct you inside of a store, what aisle to go down. And mm-hmm. um, so, so lots of things like that. So it, you know, you can use a software centric model you move to the middle size so it's kind of like i feel like i'm goldilocks right now talking about <laughs> i know right yeah you know, yeah different, right the different chairs i'm going to try out um the middle uh you're going to look for more of a combination of you know maybe some bolted down automation like shuttles um auto store kind of a little bit more flexible um then like i said automated mobile robots that carry shelves from place to place they carry a tote from place to place um, they can follow a person around doing things. So those make a lot of sense. I think, you know, and, and we're seeing a lot of companies experiment with doing combination of automated mobile robots and some other automation. And then when you get to those big national VCs, this is where you're hearing, you know, you're seeing the stories about um, Walmart store or 
DC of the future, of the future and things like, yeah. yeah, which um, we weren't featured in, unfortunately, but we do a lot of work <laughs> with them. And, you know, we do automation and huge levels where you have, you know, rows and rows of multi shut or shuttles that deliver products directly to a person to pick an order. So, you know, again, it's, you've got to be able to justify that with a certain level of order volume. You got to have space. So, you know, yeah. So Kim, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think it, it helps explain too what we were talking about earlier, where you have the crawl version where you're getting your store ops teams to just have the software to know how to pick more efficiently, mm-hmm. to understand that process. You start to get into some bolted down automation, you know, as you kind of improve that process, as you get into more volume, and then, you know, you're going to the, the Walmarts of the world where you have these huge MFCs uh, with tons of, of automation equipment in place. I'm I'm wondering though, like, are you seeing this change? You talked early on about the demand for clothing versus the demand for you know grocery delivery. As we're seeing these sortation centers come together, are you seeing like a shift in like the the type of automation that some of these, especially like the larger retailers, are, are looking for as they kind of can those those demands from the customers start to converge a little bit where I'm getting my grocery order from Target, but I'm also ordering apparel. Like I kind of want those to come together and be delivered around the same time. How are companies handling some of those customer demands or do they even exist? Yeah. um, So that's when you get into general merchandise, right? And general merchandise is a mixed bag of some of our retailers, like you think about dollar stores, you think about Great the Walmarts and Targets of the world, mm-hmm. they carry food and then they carry household items, they carry clothing, they, you know, they have a pharmacy. Um, mm-hmm. So even the product type can influence what the customer's expecting, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, right now, we're not doing a great job of, even with the sortation centers, Yeah, those, cus- those orders, like for instance, if, if I'm filling an order for me, and I've ordered, let's say, three things, right? I've ordered um, a T-shirt, uh, a scrub brush, and um, a pack of gum. Mm-hmm. They could all be be filled from different stores, right? Mm-hmm. When those things are coming together in the sortation ah. center, they're not consolidating them. They're still not consolidating them hmm. into one box. They're, they're going to ship them to you, but they're going to get them all routed into the same last mile. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's it. And so, hence the value too of the sortation yeah. center inherently. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Got it. So, okay. So that's, we've really focused on the hardware side of this, this, okay. of this discussion so far. So let's, you mentioned it a little bit and I want to bring it back into the conversation too, which is the software side of things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the softer side of Kim. Um, so <laughs> What, what are you seeing or predicting will happen in your industry with regards to how the software side of the business mm-hmm. continues to evolve? Software is the backbone of how we make any of this work because not only do you need to, within a fulfillment center, need to be able to manage orders, people, <clears throat> time, all of that with software. And, but if you think about now, if I have more places that I'm filling orders from, I need to have greater visibility to where my inventory is at each of those facilities. I need to have greater control and visibility to transportation management and all of the things. Um, And really when, you know, almost complete supply chain visibility. So you can only get that through software platforms. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so, yeah, that's definitely, I think software 
not only from the operational perspective of, you know, operating, telling a person inside of a building what to do and, and how to pack an order and all the other things that you can get, you know, off an RF gun or something or voice terminal um, connected to a software solution, but across these, the network that you're putting up, you need to have, you know, uh, something that's watching where your inventory is and where your people are and where your orders are and all that to balance, to balance the order fulfillment and other things. So definitely important. It's going to, it's actually key. <laughs> so what is that? As I look further, like five to 10 years out, do you expect to see like more consolidation in the industry across the warehouse management system, the order management system providers, you know, alongside mm -hmm. what it is that you guys do in terms of, you know, yeah, or other players I, in your space do around the automation, the hardware side of things. Is there, is there going to be more consolidation in this space? I think that the, those traditional companies that you think of in the warehouse auto, um, software space, so you think mm -hmm. of Manhattan, Blue Yonder is a continued Yonder, consolidation yeah. rate of companies that have consolidated, consolidated. I think a lot of that has happened already. Mm -hmm. um, I think what you are going to see, in fact, you know, we're doing this, um, is that you're going to have the material handling provider start stepping outside the four walls of the distribution center because to make all the things that we're doing run efficiently for our customers, we need to support that visibility. So we have a you know a WMS and warehouse management solution that not only can see what's going inside on inside of my distribution center, but if you use it for store fulfillment, we offer a store fulfillment node. We have a, a you know returns a returns ordering mm -hmm. module. So I think you're going to see more of the larger MHE providers actually stepping into not to not to try to ever really compete with the Manhattan or Blue Yonder. I don't think it'll be adding value to what we already do um, for our customers. So the more I can help you see where inventory is and plan where orders are coming from and see, you know, where your people are and, you know, that kind of thing, the better I can do at all the different places where you're using my automation. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I love that sentiment too, Kim, because I think it helps it helps bridge into the next question that I have for you. And as our as our close to consumer expert here, um, what what words of wisdom do you have for the retailers listening to this podcast right now as they're trying to kind of figure out how to merge all of those systems into you know one one dashboard so that they can efficiently run this process in their their omnichannel stores and as they're really planning and budgeting where to invest in in these areas as we head into 2024 yeah. any major investments for 2024 have probably already been planned for in 2022. Um, so yeah, that has already been done for, but I think I would say, because there's still so much change happening, mm -hmm. it, using 2024 as an opportunity to really nail down what your network strategy is based on those customer service levels that we talked about. How do you want to service your customer? What is your mission as an organization, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and servicing the customers. And that helps set the, the groundwork for where you want to put, put in distribution centers, fulfillment nodes, and automation software. Um, and then, you know, looking at, again, for a partner, a strong partner that can help you with, how do I walk through, crawl, walk, run, that, mm -hmm. through this process? Um, again, I, I think we're you know, a great example of that, but uh, it's more about, um, I think you have to be 
really clear. And I think that's where the, the pandemic threw us off kind of mm-hmm. a bit because it was like, a, you just had to react. Right. Everybody just had to react. You couldn't think a lot about what you're doing, but to really have some priorities of, again, what do you want to be providing for your customers? And then looking at what's the best way to do that. And do I, do I go all in with a, a lot of automation and where does it make sense to do that? Or do I s- step in with software only and things like that? So I think budgeting wise, you know, um, I think a lot of people, and we're actually seeing this from a totally different study that um, there's a lot of money going into that mobile automation space um, <clears throat> because it is, it's, it feels easier. First of all, it's, it's faster to implement. That's one right. thing. Right. Um, and secondly, it's usually less money. And if those don't work, you know, in this building, I can move them. It's flexible. Yeah. Maybe it gives right? you the so flexibility to, to adapt to those changing customer demands. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think that we're going to still see another year of, of growth in mobile automation for sure. And uh, software centric solutions. And, and then for the large national DCs, it's not that those are going away with the high automation levels. I just think we're, it's going to fragment a little bit more hmm. in the U S as in the Americas as, as, you know, from what I'm seeing. Right. So it sounds like, so it sounds like in a nutshell, you're saying like coming out of the pandemic, you'd advise companies, this is the time to go slow, to go fast later, like to be introspective about what your needs are, make decisions that give you the optimum flexibility that are the least capital intensive as you go forward. Is, is that, is that a good synopsis yeah, exactly. of what you just said, Kim? Yeah. It sounds counterintuitive to somebody that's trying to sell <laughs> right. material handling equipment, but you know, that's what I think that, you know, we're good. We're good about from my perspective, it's, you know, in the long run, you want to just do what's right yeah. for, yeah. for your customer. Right. And um, if it means you're not going to buy, you know, billions of dollars worth of automation and you're going to do something slower, but at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do for your end consumer, then that's what we want to see happen. So yeah, I, I think that it's, it's a good time to really do a reflection. And it's, again, it's all about what is your goal as, as an organization and how do you want to serve your end customer? What do you, how do you want to be seen? You know, what are the, and everybody has a different based on, you know, what they're offering, what their products are that they're covering, you know, so, um, yeah, that's what I, I would definitely say that take it, re- be reflective. Got people out there that can walk with you and run with you, <clears throat> run with you. Kim, is there any, crawl. yes, <laughs> I, well, I, know I, just, I, I just wonder, it seems like, you know, something mobile, something flexible makes the most sense right now, just given the, the, the constantly changing consumer demands, but are there any scenarios that you would say like, really think about this before you invest in something that's hyper flexible, like where you would invest more heavily or where you think retailers should be thinking about like, yeah, maybe that's the most flexible one, but in the long run, this is the better, better decision or better path to go down. Oh yeah, absolutely. So everything has a positive and a negative when you look at it. Right. So yeah, the mobile robots, the, the negative is that they do not use space well. Right. Okay. So they're horizontally based. Mm-hmm. They can only go so high. And so if space is a concern more than flexibility, yep. you're going to yep. have to look for something different. Okay. Right. So there are things. So we always talk about what are your drivers? Is it, I, well, everybody's drivers, but I don't have anybody to work in my distribution yeah. center. So <laughs> right. the, the number one. Right. And then, right. then we're hearing more about space um, and flexibility. They're almost tied. 
So mm-hmm. it's a lot of things. That, and, and again, if you have a good partner, they're going to walk you through understanding, understanding these are the things that drive my decision. Mm-hmm. And I've got to evaluate and some have a bigger priority or a higher rating than another. Um, so, so that's definitely important. It, yeah. I'm not saying that mobile robots are right for everything, for everybody. And I, just like, I shouldn't say that, you know, hundred miles of conveyor or a thousand shuttles are right for everybody. Cause it's, it's not, you have to really look at the individual circumstance. Right. It's context specific, which takes us back to the open, which is why we ask you the question of like, you know, what's really changed, you know, it's, you're seeing the movement of people try, it sounds like people, it sounds like from what you're seeing, people are trying to be introspective on what they need for their business, defining mm-hmm. their needs categorically. And then you're seeing some big moves like macroeconomically of, you know, some focus on sortation centers, trying to get more close to consumer from a regional perspective. And then also potentially pulling back on some of those bigger automation investments around like the micro concept, which you know, you, I mean, I, kudos to you. You kind of predicted a little bit when we had you on at the start of the year. Cause I think we call, I think we even talked about, you know, is micro fulfillment the right term? And you blatantly candidly said, no, Chris, it's no Christian. And it's not, it's not the right term. It's how do you get closer to the consumer? And there's a whole host of ways you can do that. And you got to pick which one is best for you. So, so on that note, you know, Kim, we always love having you on the show and kudos to you too. Cause you're not feeling super well today too, but uh, no. <laughs> you, you hung with, you hung with it and you answered the questions articulately and, and, and just so in, intellectually and insightfully. So thank you for that. And if people want to get in touch with you that are listening, want to pick your brain, um, you know, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I can always be reached or our company obviously can be reached through our website. So thematic.com. Um, personally, my email address is Kimberly Beaudry at thematic.com. I'm a spell Kimberly for you. Please do. I think I, can't I shared ever pronounce my last it right. I, yeah, we, you don't know how to pronounce my last name. <laughs> probably don't know how to spell my first name because I think I shared with you last time my mom. Yes, you did. In my name. So, yes. It's, A-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y dot B-A-U-D-R-Y at Dematic, D-E-M-A-T-I-C dot com. And also you can find me on LinkedIn. I had a lot of questions that came through LinkedIn after our last conversation. I'm always happy to talk to people that way. So I have no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. That's that's what we love to hear. And hopefully that'll happen again. So yeah, I'm loyal Omni Talk listeners. If you got a question for Kim, shoot it her way. All right. Well, that wraps us up. Thanks again to Kim Beaudry of Dematic for sitting down with us. And thanks to all of you for listening. And as always, on behalf of all of us here at Omni Talk Retail, be careful out there.